All right, and welcome to you now. This is podcasting. I'm your host Connor, and uh, we're doing something a little different today. Uh, this is going to be the first installment of our a book club series. I kind of want to do, and uh, this was suggested to me by my brother. And uh, wouldn't you know it? I have him on as a guest today. So welcome to the show, Kiefer. What's going on, beautiful people? It's Dad by Day here. <laughs> so yeah, I. Uh, this is interesting. This will be the we have we both have YouTube channels. So Kiefer uh, has Dad by Day, Gamer by Night, uh, where he he posts cool videos of him beating people up on video games. And uh, so yeah, so big shout out to that. He, this will be uploaded on your channel as well, right? Absolutely. Which will be cool because it it is weird, that kind of the crossover here. But uh, this is a book about video games. We're talking about Ready Player One. The author is Ernest Klein, and it was put out in 2011. And uh, can uh, let's let's get your first impression on this one. The first time I read this book, I've read both of them twice now. Um, I was actually like really interested in it. I was able to listen to it basically from beginning to end without stopping because we listened to it on a uh, road trip on the way up here to Colorado, actually. So I was fortunate enough to be able to like process most of it without having to worry about remembering stuff I read months ago. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually really enjoyed like the nostalgia part of some of those references. I was young enough to be able to experience some of it and old enough to rem- be able to remember it. Obviously, some of those things I was still too young to really experience, but like understanding like what the purpose behind referencing it all is and everything and how it kind of tied to the world. Like I I really did enjoy it. Um, There's definitely some things that make me kind of like raise an eyebrow every once in a while and some kind of like cringy things that I don't really like. But I think overall, I I say it was probably like an eight out of 10 the first time I read it. Okay, well, we'll get your score at the end. Yeah. (laughs) See what's changed. Yeah. Um, I think conceptually, there's some neat stuff going on here. Uh, my thing is, it's uh, it's unfortunate that Ernest Klein let his 80s pop culture uh, reference encyclopedia fetish get get cluttered with yeah. uh, a narrative and characters, because um, that's what this book really is to me. It's it's really just it's a lot of references to an era that I'm I assume he grew up in. He loves the the aesthetic and the nostalgia and the music and obviously like the video games and uh, the movies of that era. So it's cool in that way that he got to write a story about something that I think he really cares about. It's just really hard to connect with any of these characters because they just feel like they were written for him. And this whole story was just written for him. So it makes it hard for me to kind of really latch onto this book and care about a lot of it. Uh, because yeah, to me, it's just, it's an 80s pop culture encyclopedia. There's yeah, nothing really to it. So I think the reason why I was able to have such a good time with the book the first time that I read it for sure was um, when I like read a book or watch a movie I really try to really suspend my belief of how it's delivered to me and just accept the material that's delivered to me and evaluate that. I start questioning the, why is this character doing this? Not like, how is this character written this way? You know what I mean? So it was a little bit easier for me to enjoy this book, I suppose, and not really be so upset, not being able to relate to the characters. Cause it's like, I under, I understand like what their purpose is. So that's like enough for me to understand like their future struggles. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And I don't think that's, I think books are fun in the way that like film is not. And it's like part of it is like you're experiencing this in your own mind's eye. So if that's how you like, if that's how you take in that content, that's fine. And I like, you're not wrong for being like, you know what? I'm fine with suspending like suspension of disbelief for this book. I am also mostly okay with that. My problem is more of how it's written. It just, he's not like a, I wouldn't say it like a top tier writer. I would say he kind of suffers from this thing like I would call the and then syndrome. 
where a lot of the times he'd be writing something it's like and then this happened and then that happened and then this and like that's more my trouble because again i think conceptually there's neat stuff and neat ideas in this and it just like it gets kind of mucked up by the way it's written and then with all the 80s references yeah well and then there's like stuff that's pointless to that whole thing too with the 80s references like i don't need to understand how you're ordering pizza or whatever like Oh, there's a there's there yeah there's a whole section there's a whole section where, where he he talks about how a, a, a an outer security door and an inner security door work. It's like, dude, everybody understands the whole idea of that thing. Like, you have an outer door, so they come into the inner portion and they close the back door. I completely forgot that and there's then, a whole section about yeah, how he and orders then pizza. the ordering and then the delivery guy pisses off and then he opens the inner door and there's his pizza. It's like, dude, we don't. I don't need three minutes of you telling me how this right. works. This that's how it's, that's how it's written. It's so like, and then I wanted pizza, and then I placed the order, and then it was yeah. delivered, and then it was put through the first it order. It wastes a lot of yeah. time that he could have spent u- utilizing the Oasis in a better way than he did. Yeah, so my big problems just mostly come from the writing style and I guess some of the content, but the concept is not the problem here. No, the concept the concept of something like that happening, which... So let's, let's explore the concept of this. This is a, a, a world set in a like the near future the 2040s like the late 2040s i think is it what it is billionaire video game developer james halliday has created the oasis which is essentially a big vr world where most of humanity spends a lot of their time because like the world they're actually in is kind of falling apart and you have climate change and you have war and you have famine and the oasis is essentially like the name suggests it's an escape it's a way to get away from kind of the troubles of the real world and there's this challenge set in it by Halliday after he passed away that whoever uh, completes the challenge, they basically inherit the Oasis and his business and all this stuff. Yeah, so that's just the basic gist of the story. Yeah, so I think the only thing that I would add to like your description of the Oasis just to <clears throat> prove like how powerful this is to society as a whole in this story is that's like where business happens. That's where um, marketing happens. There's so much, there's so much like infrastructure because it worked out so well for people to connect to it and utilize it and to program it to do whatever they wanted society has basically put so much of their infrastructure into the oasis that if the oasis were to ever go down like society would crumble essentially is like how powerful this whole environment that he's created is just right. to put it into perspective so yeah how would you order your pizza if there was no oasis? i guess i would have to figure out what a phone is yeah, right. i don't know no that's a, that's a good point is it's not just a video game it's like you said like there's it's marketing it, and commerce and everything that takes it, place it's the basic it. infrastructure of this time period of this planet you know right so let's talk more about the planet in this world <clears throat> um usually when we review a movie we go on to like the aesthetic you know like the sound the cinematography and all that obviously you can't really do that in this uh, so I want to talk about world building instead because I think that's kind of the, a close approximation. Again, this kind of suffers from just the writing style of Ernest Cline where he just, everything is basically just described as stuff that's stacked on top of each other. That's kind of essentially the first chapter or two of the book. Yeah, he's, I mean, talking like, about st- the, the stacks, right? Like you're saying and all the junk piled up everywhere. And it, it looked to me like... Um, at the end of like the Snyder cut of Justice League, when they're in like that that deserty oh, right, like right. cityscape, yeah, that's what I imagine. Like basically the entire world's like, yeah, it, like with bigger cities and then just desert in between all that crap. Like right. it doesn't it doesn't make it sound like there's any grassy forests left or. I mean, I suppose that that's not necessarily true because like they're still in like Ohio and stuff. But at the beginning, 
he makes it sound really desolate i thought yeah no i agree with you i just again the way it's delivered isn't isn't my favorite he's yeah. like yeah i lived in the stacks it was basically a, a trailer parked and then there was another one stacked on it and then there was a third one stacked on it and wouldn't you know there was a fourth one stacked on Bolted that right on top yeah. and then he talks about he's got his own wade has his own um kind of hideaway he was like, yeah, it was inside of a van that was stacked on another van that was stacked on top of yet another van. That was van. down by the river. Right. <laughs> um, so that's sort of my trouble with some of the world building is it's, you're not really saying anything with any of it. There's no like nuance to any of the writing. I didn't get any like really like richness from this world. Like you said, it just feels like desolate yeah, kind of uh, dystopian future. He talks but about they have the oasis. So. He talks about what's going on in the world without talking about what the world is like looks like, which I suppose is not, is to me, I guess it's totally fine that he's ignoring that because that's not what the this book is not about what the world looks like. The book is about what happens in the oasis. So right. it is kind of lame the way that he describes like the physical environment that Wade interacts with when he's not in the oasis. And but that's not, I guess that's not really his point. That's not. Yeah, but I think, it, like you said, if you want to talk about how important the oasis is to like your economy and your infrastructure. Why would everything be moved to the Oasis if the real world was fine? Yeah. So I think you do need to build up a little bit of that kind of dystopia. Well, and which, they all, which he did the bare minimum describing yeah. that. So that kind of sets up the Oasis as kind of, like I said, your getaway. I think one of my biggest problems with the whole setting up of how dystopian, quote unquote, this world really is, is um, so there's all this famine and plague and poverty, and yet there's 10 billion people on the planet. There's all this war going on, and yet there's 10 billion people on the planet. Like, he doesn't do a good job of, like, explaining the magnitude of each of these problems in any sort of detail to give you any sense of, like, real dread of anything that's happening in the physical world. It's just, oh, these things are happening. That's what but, I said. It's shallow. Like, there's how, not a lot of weight. No. There. Yeah. It's like, well, war between who? Like, right. famine where? How many people are starving in these places? What plague is... is is ravaging the world like how can all these bad things be happening and there still be 10 billion people on the planet oh uh, no i i get that and again that's just part of the world building that i think like it falls flat for me because i was like why do i care about the oasis being an oasis yeah if i also, i don't know enough about the world for it's a matter that this place is so yeah. good you know how bad does this place really suck then yeah yeah exactly and so I, I just think you could have done he needs to do more there yeah like, you need to i need to feel like i'm in a world in order for me to start taking what's going on in the world seriously and the way you do that is you got to set up your setting. We're going to move on to characters now. Uh, we've kind of set up the world, set up kind of the uh, the initial uh, starting point, like what kicks off this story, and it follows the main character's Wade. It's The book is told from his perspective, like he's the narrator of this story. Wade is uh, a kid who, like we said, grew up in the stacks. He's had a really hard life. His mom's dead. He lives with an aunt that is like no good to him. Uh, but kind of his escape from that is this challenge in becoming one of the the Gunters who's going to try and unlock Halliday's, uh, you know, secrets and whatnot. My problem with him is that he's also kind of shows some of the worst parts of the gaming community. Like he, uh, him and his other Gunters that he associates with, they kind of talk down to other Gunters who like aren't, have you aren't explained well what a, Have you explained to everybody what a Gunter is yet? Oh, yeah. Those are just the... It's just the moniker given to the people who are chasing Halliday's egg, like the ones who are it's, taking it really seriously, like not a casual gamer. Not, it's, well, it's actually came, comes from people searching for the Holy Grail. So it's Grail hunters. They just mash the words together called Gunters. You had to explain that to me earlier I did. Uh, because it's all right. 
I forgot where the name came from. And I was like, well, I'm already too far in the book to go back and search out the meaning. It's okay, I got it. <laughs> so thank you for that. You're welcome. So yeah, so he's a part of this community, but he's also kind of solo running this, you know? Yes. But the way he talks to and treats kind of the layman, like, member of the Oasis is kind of frustrating to me. So like one thing I really like about gaming is, especially with you, you're better at video games than I am. That, I mean, you got a channel for it. But you would invite me to like play Call of Duty, and I suck ass at Call of Duty. But at no point were you ever like, hey, I'm going to go play with my boys who are better than you. Or, you know, like maybe go find your own crew or maybe pick an easier game or something like that. Like you were always like, no, just join in. It's fine. Like, and I, and I was very clear that I was not good at it. And I kind of think that Wade is like the opposite of that. He's the more toxic part of gaming where you're like gatekeeping and you don't let people join in because you don't think they're on your level and they're not good enough for you or whatever. So that's like kind of, it's weird to me that you're supposed to follow this character. You're supposed to care about this quest he's on, but he's also like not very likable. Well, so I guess I disagree with some of that though, is like when he talks about it in the book, he talks about there being like a pride in finding it on your own. Not that it's bad to squat up because there's all kinds of people that do and it's not that he's trying to, like, isolate people he loves because he doesn't have any friends, really, besides one. We'll talk about them in a minute. But I don't think that he's gatekeeping. I don't think that he was ever written in a way that when he ever encountered somebody, he was toxic towards them. It was always about doing it alone and winning. So, like, if he didn't share a hint or he didn't do this or that, that's not him being toxic necessarily. He's trying to win. And the fact that he's not partying up doesn't mean that he's like thinking he's holier than thou and trying to like ostracize everybody else. Like I, I, and even still, like, even if you are in a group of people, like I've played enough like MMO RPGs, right? Like wow. And final fantasy 14 and stuff like that, that you can have people in the clans or the guilds or whatever that you're in that are still toxic. So just because you're a solo person doesn't necessarily make you toxic towards like playing with other people. And this is also an interesting environment too, where if you're powerful and or smart enough, you can overcome most of those challenges by yourself. Like in right. most video games, you can't do a 20 man raid in WoW by yourself. You just can't do it. Right. So the the mechanics of the Oasis with, with like real games, I think sort of changes that a little bit. Like, I guess that's my two cents on that. No, that's, that's a fair point. And that's why I wanted to have you want to talk about it because I'm definitely going to have a different point of view than you are and like yeah. you play more video games than I do so you're going to have a different you're going to take like that perspective that I won't have just like reading it I was like wow this guy doesn't isn't awesome and there's like parts later on where he gets a job and has to work in like tech support and there are people who call them like the layman who has a problem and it's so easy for and, him and now that and he's like, yeah. oh, this moron is calling me now or like this idiot doesn't know what they're he doing. He does come off like kind of a dick there too yeah. and I don't know like I don't know why, especially when, like, and we'll talk about it later, like, he put himself in that situation. He knew that, that was coming. Right. So the fact that he's in that situation dealing with those people for the duration of time that he's dealing with them is of, is, is, happens because of his own making, you know? So it's annoying that he, I guess, is written that way to be a dick to those people instead of just helping them, right? Right, like, right. But at the same time, like, I could understand as you know, you go through the book and you know what he's, how much time he spent learning all this stuff and how he's already kind of like <clears throat> an electronics wizard, like built, rebuilding parts and selling them to make money for food. That it's like, that is a very, very like 
low skill stuff that is just like he cannot be bothered with so i can understand some frustration that comes with that but it absolutely does not mean that he should be a dick to the people at the customer service place it's 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 tough to because he's just not likable in that way you know and so it's tough to have this character this way your story revolves around but But like the whole time i'm reading this i'm like oh my god the story doesn't revolve around him being a dick to the customer service people though no but i mean but it revolves around his character. So when his character acts in these certain ways, it makes it hard to be a fan of him. It makes it hard for me to root for him. There was several times where I was like, just die. Oh, please fail the challenge and zero out. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't really remember any time specifically where I felt like he acted toxic towards players because of the event. I remember times when he acted like an asshole to his friends. Yeah, uh, because there's that one but character, Irock, who is trying to... He's talking like he's a gunter. Yeah, but Irock is, is also basically like a school bully who's been picking on him for several years. So that's a little different. Like you being, you like being a dick back to the bully who's been mean to you for several years is a little bit different because Iraq is not a normal player. If you read the book, you'll understand Iraq is not a normal player. He's like a huge tipping force in a bunch of bad stuff that ends up happening. He's not somebody you care about. I, I guess I mean like because his knowledge isn't at the same level as Wade. So when he tries to pull out some trivia, oh. it seems like they all get around and belittle him for not knowing as much trivia. Well, but so. I also think that's because Irock is Irock's trying to flex just to make Wade look bad again, just to bully him. That's a good point. Right. Irock is just yeah. a bully, so Irock deserves to get like b- bullied back. And when that happens, it doesn't make Wade a bad. Not necessarily. It's okay for him to get bullied back, but it's okay for him to be wrong and have people laugh about it like no, you're you're right i i hadn't really put that together when i first went through it but that makes sense that's a good point so before we move on to any other characters i think the point i really want to make is all of the, the reason i said earlier that this book just feels like it was ernest klein writing a book for himself is because i feel like all these characters especially wade are just different aspects of himself and his interests and uh maybe social topics or political topics that he cares about and they're just these characters just embody what Ernest Klein thinks. And again, that's part of the reason why I don't think these characters are like especially fun or you can't really get to know them or get attached to them because they aren't really characters. They're just aspects of Ernest Klein, like things that he likes. You know, or, or things or that ways he cares about. Or ways or vehicles for him to talk about things that he likes. Exactly. And they're, that's they're why not, they're, not they're not real normal, characters. They're not normal characters that just I'm sure you could find something relatable with some of them, but they're they're the all character shallow. as a whole yeah. the character as a whole you're not gonna be able to be like, oh man i am such a fill-in-the-blank character right right they're not there's no depth to any of them no. they just say things <clears throat> that i think ernest klein likes or they just say things that he cares about like there's a good bit where wade kind of goes on about climate change so obviously ernest klein cares about climate change he goes on there's like a kind of anti-christian messages in this um, uh i think he definitely talks about being, he definitely talk like he definitely talks about Wade being like a practicing atheist, but like it's got to be okay for a writer to use their characters. Like that's what a book is. It's gonna they're going to be thoughts and things that a writer's got to be trying to express through the story and through the characters. Like that's got to be a freedom that they have. Yeah, but, but I think when yeah. it takes away when it takes away from the story because your characters suck and you're only using them as a medium to express your opinions, that's when it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I think these aren't characteristic. I mean, they're just characteristics. They're not characters. These yeah. are just attributes that someone has, and he's just each character just kind of gets them listed out, and that's as much as you get to know about them. Yeah. So let's move on to H, which is Wade's best friend. They don't know each other in real life. They only know each other in the Oasis. 
And when this character was first introduced, it's in like that uh that like basement chat room they have where it's all 80s themed and everything. And H and Wade are going on about how much they love the 80s. And I was like, how convenient for Klein to write a character that is literally the exact same as Wade. Like it, it's just such easy, simple writing. Like there's there's no difference in them really. Like they both care about the exact same thing, which makes it really easy to write about because you don't need to expand on these characters or have them be really any different. And I think H is just really uh, just a, another representation of Wade in the same way that they both are just interested in the exact same things. It's, it's just really lazy writing. Well, one of the, I think one of the biggest differences between H and Wade that he talks about is um, Wade is like a hundred percent focused on finding the Easter egg, right. And winning the challenge. And at the beginning, H is interested, but not haven't ha- hasn't devoted nearly as much time as Wade has, and is way more about like the PvP circuit. And it talks about how big into like multiplayer and how high ranking H is. So at the beginning, the, I would say that the big difference really is the amount of time that they spend studying all the '80s stuff to try to figure out like where Halliday hid the first you know, the first clue or whatever it is, you know, the first key, and then how much time they spend doing different things. Like, H obviously doesn't spend as much time as Wade does studying and doing all this stuff because, you know, they're out doing PvP stuff, being all super high-ranked. H has money, too, so H can actually go do stuff, and Wade is, like, stuck on that one planet that his school is on. Oh, was it Halcyon? Uh, Yeah, Halcedonia. Yes. Halcedonia. So that's another... But again, you're not really... Is term in terms of like what the character is, they aren't really that different. No, because like, I mean, they they both just they both share a lot of the same attributes. You know what you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I guess I'm like being nitpicky about what the differences are, but it's like in like yeah, they they have different lives and they have sure a I few guess. different interests. But it really, I was just like, oh my god, they both know the exact same question, saw this trivia, which is odd because they never really explain why. H knows as much as Wade does because the book explains why Wade knows everything because he's he's watched this Ferris Bueller's Day Off 187 times like the the book will tell you that but it doesn't ever like establish why H knows as much as H knows right as as it does with the other characters it does that a couple a little bit with the other characters too yeah uh, so let's move on to Artemis then this yes, is like H the, sucks uh, she's a female character that Wade is interested in because she has a blog, which, of course, she loves 80s pop culture, which, again, it just it just feels like really... It, it, a lot of this is just like copy-paste for all these characters. But that explains... Just, but that at least explains why she knows as much as she knows because she blogs about it all the time. She's definitely more fleshed out than H yeah, is, yeah, for yeah. sure. But that's all, that's all I'm saying is, like, H, H is kind of just a lazy, a lazy vehicle, a lazy character. Right. Like, so my trouble with this character is I, I think that She's just like a fantasy girlfriend, high school girlfriend <laughs> that, that Klein had. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't like serve a lot of purpose except for she's, everything she does seems to be in like the service of Wade and his story, which again, I get this is told from his perspective, but it feels like there could have been more to that character. And it feels like she only pops in when it's to help Wade or she only pops in when you need to have that like high school girlfriend drama type thing, which I understand is a, a big part of like uh, if you look at like 80s you know teen movies that's a big thing that's a theme throughout those which Klein is obviously a big fan they of they have to have a love interest yeah and it just never feels like a she she could have been a much bigger deal i think i think there's more built into that character than most of the other ones so i would have liked there to be more explored with her but she just is kind of like 
there to cause like some tension yeah. every once in a while, and I would have liked more out of her. There's not a whole lot of mis. There's not a whole lot of mystery with her. It's it's pretty upfront. I think. no, which is weird because she's written to be a really mysterious character like they never yeah. really find out a lot about each other and she's very secretive and she's very secretive she doesn't tell her she doesn't tell him her first name for a really long time like even after like the middle of the book when they really start talking a lot like he'll sit there and offer up information about himself and she's like you really shouldn't tell me that yeah i could be a i could be a sixer or whatever and he doesn't you know he doesn't stop but she never starts the, the reason i don't think that's she's very nuanced in this is because it just feels like an archetype or a character I've seen in movies a bunch yeah. of times already. So there's like, that's why it feels like she's supposed to be mysterious. But like you said, I already know everything. Yeah. Cause that's just, he just she, explains she's it. Just there's, the archetype. There's yeah. nothing hidden. There's never any like plot twists with her. You're like, Oh man, that's, Oh man, there's, there's more plot twists with H than there are yeah. with her. Like you find out she lives in Vancouver. Like, oh my goodness. Big she deal. has parents. Yeah. Just a little Canuck out there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Again, I, I would have liked more out of Artemis. Um, let's move on to, I think, the most forgettable characters in this. Let's talk about Daito and Shoto. Uh, one thing I really do like about them is they show a part of the gaming community that I really, really like. And I think is a really wonderful thing about how wide it's grown and how connected you can be. Is These are two characters who introduce themselves as brothers. You find out later on in the book they're not really brothers. They just become really close friends through the Oasis. And you and I have a really good friend that we actually just spent Christmas with, and we knew him because we played online together. So a little quick shout out to Sam. Oh, yeah. And so that that's a part of the gaming community that I really like, and they portray that well in this book. But again, I think you mentioned earlier, these characters are just a vessel for Klein to introduce his love of Japanese pop culture. Yeah, because realistically, like whenever a challenge pops up where there's something Japanese related, one of them ends up helping, and right. that's that's all that ever happens they don't they don't help with ever they don't really help with anything that's not japanese related yeah exactly which is why i think maybe when this book was being written klein was like well i can't just have wade know everything he can't also know all about japanese culture and 80s pop culture so i need to introduce characters that can help that story and it's just because he's interested in that in that in japanese pop culture which is why these characters exist and i think if you took them out it would be pretty easy to not even notice they were gone. Well, and then there's nothing even like in the, there's nothing even in like the challenge of the first, there, in this in this first book, there's nothing even Japanese related that have anything to do with the keys of the gates, right? No, it's just a lot of references. To... And so, so like really they didn't need to be around at all other than to like help Wade find the Ultraman pill that we talked about is like their only function because then he uses it later. Right, and... So part of what I think this book does a really good job of tricking you into thinking it's, it has a real message about like social issues or cultural issues and stuff like that. They talk about how a lot of Japanese kids basically are just stuck in their room and they just play these games all day and they don't get out and they don't do anything. And that's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be like a reference to that culture and everything like that. And then like he ends up being killed and it feels like there's supposed to be some deeper message there. But it's all just said, and it's very surface level. The same way, like, climate change is brought up. Yeah, but our characters aren't really exploring anything like that. Famine is brought up, but we're not really exploring anything there. Religion is brought up, but we're not really exploring anything there. And it feels like there are just some really shallow elements to trick you into thinking that this book has some real heart and some real message to it. Yeah. But it's really surface level, and I think Daito and Shoto are a part of that. Is It just feels like it was supposed to kind of bring up make you feel something but there's not really anything there's no meat on it and i mean it could be to just bring in some some different like 
uh, what's the, some, some more diversity too, you know what I mean? To make it appealing to more people. Cause obviously like video games started where like in Japan, right? So e- either way, like video games are arguably more popular in Japan than they are in a- any other country. Right. So that could have been as a, as like a, not a gimmick, but a way to like make the book about video games more popular to video gamers in other countries too. Right, no, I, I I agree. I just don't think there's a lot to them. No, and, and they have and one like, cool aspect that they're not really brothers, but they're really close and then to it, an online like. And I think that they only called them brothers. They probably only called them brothers really for the sake of adding some like, not tension but drama when like Daito ends up getting killed at the end of the book. You know what I mean? Right. Like, but it's like you said, and you're, you you were talking about it earlier, right? And I don't want to steal your thing, but. You were like, he's dead, and we all just move on. It's yeah. Like, and it's like, it sucks when it happens at first, because you're like, you've just been like through basically the whole book with all of these characters, and whether you think that they're shallow or not, you still like, you know that like Shoto and Daito, you think are real brothers, and that you as the reader think that Daito just lost, or Shoto just lost his real brother. Right, right. So, so that like... There should, there should be weight to that, but they immediately move on. Yeah. We didn't even talk about it. Uh, Wade's aunt is killed along with a bunch of people in the stacks. And Wade just immediately moves on and moves to Ohio. And well, like, that's kind of the and, end of it. And like he... I, it just... He does not like yeah. his... He does not like his aunt. His aunt does not like him. His aunt only took him in because it gets him more... It gets her more food vouchers. So he she doesn't even feed him. That's why I said he had to learn how to engineer all this hardware and resell it so he can pay for his own food so there is no love lost between him and his aunt well but it's weird because later in the book he's kind of like wade's gonna finish this challenge he's like i'm gonna do it for my aunt i'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it for like, the stack nah, i'm gonna do it for for daito like it's like no wait you can't you can't not have any feeling yeah. in in your in your character and just move on immediately after their deaths and then also have like that be like your driving force to like finish the challenge well, but at then the end. Even before she's dead, ta- writing about how he they didn't like each other in the first place, like that totally makes sense to me why he she's like dead and he moves on. But then be like, I'm doing this for you, person who never loved me and I never loved you. Like, no, that's not a thing. Right. It would actually be in character for him to be like, okay, I guess I'm going to Columbus now. Yeah. But then to have him later on acknowledge that and then like use that is like. A yeah. way to a way to overcome the challenge, or like you know, he's like you know, commemorating it to them. It's like, yeah, no, but you didn't care about this character. So. I'm only here because you fed me and clothed me. No, he she didn't do really any of those things. All right, so let's move on to the last character I want to get into is Sorrento, who is the your big bad guy in this. He runs the IOI Corporation. No, he runs the operations department of IOI. He runs the egg hunting operations department, the oology department, if right. you will. Uh, but no, you're you're exactly right. Good bit of trivia there you pulled from the book. Yeah. Um, my problem with Sorrento is he is just ultimate big bad guy. No nuance. We know right away like what he is, what he's about, and that is why that's like troubling to me because this is a book that feels like it's written for children, but then it has all these topics come up in it and all these references that a child wouldn't understand or get. So I think you just need to. You need to make this character mean something to the adults reading this book and not just like bad guy. Yeah. Bad guy, bad guy enters room and does bad things. Yeah. He basically just comes off as the boss of the, he's the head of all of the minions is right. basically all that it is. He's, he's like the Bowser of the Goombas. Like that's as deep as his character that's is. That's about it. He is as deep as Bowser is. <laughs> he's a 16 bit yeah. bad guy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's not a lot to say about him except like 
what I just said is I just think he's he's way too obvious in a book that I feel like needs to be more nuanced for its adult audience, or it needs to just be obvious and be a book for kids. And we'll we'll go on about that later. But he's like the my like hallmark problem of the book. If he could have written who him, it is, he could have written him the way that the actor who played him in the movie played him. It would have been a completely different story because I think that the actor who plays him, yeah, uh, in the movie that's Ben Mendelsohn who plays Sorrento. Yep, yep. If they had if they had written him the way that he played him in the movie, then Sorrento would have been way more like menacing in in the book because in the movie he's like ruthless and. I mean, yeah, sure, like, Sorrento in the book blows up the stacks, like, he says he's going to, but, like... But it's, like, mustache-twirling villain, like, ha-ha, yeah. I'll blow it up, <laughs> see here, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he's, yeah, you're exactly right, I, I kind of, yeah, that, Ben Mendelsohn brings a lot to that character yeah. in the movie, and he's just a great actor, uh, he <laughs> is in, uh, I don't know if you've seen that show Bloodlines, that was yes, on Netflix for a while, ooh, yep. he is he's good amazing in that, in, that. Er, in that show, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's also a bad guy in a... Rogue One, yeah. So yep. he, he definitely, he's good. He's, he's definitely good. got his niche, and you're so right. That that might be one of the parts of the movie that is definitely uh, a pro, a bright spot yeah. compared to the book. Like, I, I I really like Ben Mendelsohn. All right, that feels like a pretty good place to wrap this one up. I want to thank uh, Kiefer for being on, and uh, check out his channel, Dad by Day, Gamer by Night, and uh, get ready. We have part two coming out, and thank you for listening to. Now this is podcasting. <laughs>